0: So while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy The Politics of Everything. Narelle Anderson is the Founder and Managing Director of the award-winning Envirobank Recycling, Australia's most innovative reverse vending machine solutions and automated recycling depots. She's an accomplished entrepreneur and her vision is to change the way Australians and the world recycle using technology and rewarding consumers for the good they do. Founding Envirobank Recycling in 2008 to incentivise recyclers, Narelle introduced the concept of reverse vending technology to Australia, As a born entrepreneur, Norella has owned multiple businesses and has built a distinguished career in the waste industry. In 2000, she became the first Aboriginal woman to solely own a waste management company. And in 2001, she was elected by her peers as the first female president of the Sydney chapter of the Entrepreneurs' Organization, or EO, a dynamic global network of more than 7,300 business owners in 42 different countries. In 2015, she was also voted Australia's top one well, of top 50 influential women entrepreneurs. And today, she's talking about the politics of recycling. Welcome. Thank you. Wow, such an intro. <laughs> I know. My goodness, you don't look old enough to have done all that stuff, oh, Narelle. Come thank on, Thank you. you're so kind. <laughs> so, growing up, how would you describe your childhood in a few
1: sentences? Well. I certainly was loved as a child but at times my childhood um, was a little troubling and I did often, I did feel older than my years as a child. I know that sounds strange and I would often feel as though I was an adult observing a child. So and some of those observations um, and learnings I guess through my childhood
0: shaped me as an adult. So did you have a career dream growing up? Like did you want to be a ballerina or an astronaut or was there something in your in your sort of education as a kid that you thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to do?
1: Yeah, I actually thought um, one of my first things that I wanted to do was I wanted to be an air hostess and because I thought that that sounded really cool. And then I got to go on a plane. My friend's parents took me on a plane and then I decided that I didn't want to be an air hostess after that. Um, I felt kind of a bit claustrophobic. And then I wanted to be a lawyer and I probably still want to be a lawyer, actually. Maybe I'll get around to that one day. Um, to add, add to the list. To add, add to the list. But, yeah,
0: I didn't know that I wanted to run a recycling company, that's for sure. Well, it's sort of not on those sort of childhood kind of career counselling, you know, graphs that they give you. They're no, very no much it definitely
1: more. wasn't um, part of um, careers week.
0: <laughs> definitely not. So your early career, what did that involve and what were some of the key lessons that you, you remember from, say, your 20s?
1: Well, I, I guess even taking it back before my um, 20s as a child at school, I have just always been a person that is very, a very determined individual and likes to do things that other people say can't be done. So as a child, I remember in year five we were supposed to learn an Australian poem and I told my fifth grade teacher that I wanted to learn The Man from Snowy River and she told me that I couldn't learn that poem because it was way too long and I should choose a different poem. So I chose My Country by Dorothea McKellar and I recited that poem. And then when I finished standing in front of my year five class, I said, and now I'm going to do my second poem, which was The Man from Snowy River. And I remember looking at the, cl- at the faces of my classmates, you know, with their mouths wide open thinking, my God, what is she doing? <laughs> why She's done on double. <laughs> earth, why on earth would she um, do that? And I just did it because the teacher... I had a passion for it and the teacher told me that I wouldn't be able to do it. And really, that then um, became something that's become a career theme for me, really. Um, In all of the jobs that I've had, if I've ever been told, no, you won't be able to do that or you can't do that, that has just made me more determined um, to have a go and...
0: That's what I'm doing today, still having a go. Absolutely. So, first of all, it seems that you owned a promotional business and then CBD, Enviro Services, and now EnviroBank. So, how did you even get into that entrepreneurial world? Did you have some mentors or did you just see an opportunity? How did it really happen for you? Well, my very, very, very first business was actually Kissing Business.
1: What? I did teach the kids in our street um, how to kiss. And, how old are these and, kids, and, by the way? And this not, sounds a little... And not, and not by kissing them myself, <laughs> but, but by conducting classes. I watched, a, I think, a romance show on television and thought that, you know, <laughs> kids should learn how to kiss, so... Um, it is a life skill uh, i guess it's a a life skill i'm proud to say that the kids in moore street are all probably very great kisses these days um that was really my uh, first business but i ended up with a promotional company because i worked for a promotional company and just saw that there was an opportunity and decided that i'd have a go uh, myself and i so how old were you um i had that promotional company when i was about 20 19 20. wow that's young and it was and then I fell, off, I fell off my horse. Um, well, the gentleman that I worked for um, didn't, he was, you know, I was doing some work for him and he was said that he would give me a pay rise and then he didn't give me a pay rise oh. and I felt um, that that was very unjust and so I decided that I'd go off and do, um, do something myself and so I did and I was just really um, doing some small events and providing staff for some small events and then I sadly I had a riding accident and crushed my vertebrae so that was... end of my business Um, and then after that I went on to work for Hallmark Cards and I worked for them for a number of years and and that's where I found my passion for sales Um, and really that organization that I worked for um, was really one of the organizations and the jobs that I had that shaped who I wanted to be as a business person that organization was very kind um, to me and was a really supportive organization um, way back then where you know today it's kind of the given but but it wasn't the given back then um, to have organizations that were very supportive of women in the workplace and um, and so that was one of the companies that shaped who I am and then CBD Enviro Services I my entree into the waste management um, business was I knew the gentleman that owned that business and I um, ended up working for him and long story short he decided that he wanted out and Um, I ended up buying the business from him. I didn't have any money because I left school at a very young age. So I um, kind of talked to him. He really wanted to get out and I really wanted to get in. So I did a deal with him that I'd pay him off um, over a period of time. And if I couldn't pay him off, then, um, you know, then he could come back and take it off me and I was able to pay him off.
0: That's incredible. And so what is it about the waste industry that, for you, has really sparked that continued entrepreneurial street because you could go on and have done something else after that, but you sort of stuck with it.
1: I did because, you know, I I became quite passionate about recycling and and waste and waste management and it's a super interesting space. And when I first joined the waste management industry, again, there weren't a lot of women um, in the waste management space, but it was, it was quickly evolving and more and more women um, were, you know, Participating in key roles and I just really enjoyed the work and I really enjoyed the mission of, you know, cleaning up the country and, and making sure that things go to the right place and, and, you know, thinking about our future. At the time I didn't have any um, children, but just really thinking about the future of the planet and, you know, I'm connected to that. I'm connected to the earth by, by my culture. Um, but it's just become a passion for me and one that, you know, keeps me awake at night. We started um, before this podcast talking about the you know the time that I wake and go to sleep and I don't count the hours because
0: it is such a passion for me. It's incredible. Like most entrepreneurs, I guess that's how you keep running when, when you're nothing in the tank. Look, you are the great niece of the late Senator Neville Bonner and your own Indigenous background has clearly made you passionate about Indigenous welfare and you've achieved so many firsts as an Indigenous woman and entrepreneur in Australia. You've been quoted as saying, my culture makes me a custodian of the land, so cleaning up the country seems a natural fit. So how does that impact your desire to sort of, I guess, balance that entrepreneurial side working in really a a white culture to what you know is the truth for your people as well?
1: You know, I think um, certainly in today's environment we're we're in a unique um, point of time and that is that um, governments all over the the globe actually and and now all over Australia are starting to introduce a container deposit legislation which is about paying people uh, to recycle and that that legislation underpins really um, what I'm doing at the moment and why does that connect um, back to um, culture for me is if you want people to do the right thing then you have to you either find them reward them or or, um you know penalize them and this is an incentive-based recycling that and, and what is exciting about that for Indigenous community is that it takes jobs into community as well. So that is the thing that keeps my fires burning, um, really to make sure that opportunities get out into community where they don't currently exist. And, you know, as a child, I didn't live in, um, I didn't live in a community as a child. I, loved, I lived in um, the Southern suburbs with my parents, but we were taken on the weekends to, um the boys it was called the boys home it wasn't a boys home but it was run by the brothers and it was um an aboriginal community we were taken there on the weekends um with my parents um to you know to see uncles and aunties and what what have you and i just again remember observing as a child um how different opportunities were and that really is my great passion now to make sure that through my through my business and and you know the connections that I have that I'm able to make opportunities for um, other Aboriginal people.
0: So from December 1st last year, people in New South Wales have been able to get $0.10 for every beverage container they recycle via your machines, the EnviroBank machines that you've designed. And the arrival of container deposit legislation in New South Wales took a long time. So you've been in this business 10 years. I imagine at the time you didn't think it was going to take 10 years to get to this point. What's been the journey like for you? And at this point, where do you think we're at with this reverse recycling Mindset.
1: Yeah. Um, so I guess you know to start, good things come to those who wait, and it has been an extraordinarily it has taken an extraordinarily long time. And I think um, the reason that container deposit legislation now um, it seems to have momentum. Um, is partly to do with the issues that we have um, in china and making sure that we have um, opportunities um, to recycle this material that are local and not overseas and the material that comes from a container deposit scheme is is first class material so it can go back into um, bottle to bottle which is
0: such as what would be some of the materials we're talking Um, about so we're
1: talking about your water bottles which are made out of pet and if they come from a container deposit scheme they can be made into another bottle again Um, same with aluminium cans which can be infinitely recycled um, and glass as well so what comes out of a container deposit scheme is a nice clean um, recycling stream so it enables that to go back into that um, bottle what comes out of a recycling um, stream that comes from a a MRF a material recovery facility because it's mixed with lots of other things is contaminated so it doesn't have um, same value, so um, that you know that really then has meant that there's been an opportunity for technology to enter the marketplace and the ter- reverse vending technology um, that we have here um, at Envirobank is technology that comes from the states. But we also run very large automated counting centers, and um, and we that technology comes out of out of Denmark. So you know, for us, it was really about solving a problem with technology, solving a traditional problem um, with technology, and really improving a customer's experience. And technology is something that, you know, 10 years ago was like, oh my gosh, that's extraordinary but now you know it's really expected um, that we do things in a technical way and that's what reverse bending, um machines do and that's what our large high speed counting centers do it's just about improving the customer experience.
0: And how do you educate the market about this because not everyone's going to know that this exists?
1: Um, Well, the container deposit legislation that we have here in Australia, we have um, New South Wales, which started on the 1st of December, and um, South Australia, which has been going for 35 years, and the Northern Territory, which has been going for about five years, and Queensland starting on the 1st of November. Um, The legislation is slightly different in each of those um, states, so it really is about... Um, educating the community uh, in each of those states what the rules are. The rule that's the same is that the containers are worth 10 cents each. Um, And for the consumer, um, that's the same in every state. For the operators, though, um, the guidelines are a little different in every state. But it's is—it's all about advertising, marketing, promotion and education. Um, What you see when you have put a bounty on the containers is people very quickly um, figure out how they're going to, Return them for recycling. They
0: are motivated, therefore
1: they are motivated, and we seem to have a, um, a flurry at the moment of young girls who are recycling to save money for puppies.
0: Really? It's... How do you know this, Norella? What do you do? You get some spies out there with the machines, no, going? No, what, what are they talking no, about?
1: No, because it's not all. For us, it's not all machines. We run large, um, high-speed um, counting centres, but we are, you know, super passionate about engaging young people, um, and really, this is. Everybody in New South Wales probably remembers Cash for Cans. So this is really bringing Cash for Cans um, back. And we just ask the question when people come to our business, you know, what do you do? And I have young um, children that write to us and tell us what they do. And, you know, we send out kits because I want to encourage young people to be entrepreneurs. And, you know, what I say often is, um Really, cashing in your cans is really one of the few opportunities that you can run your own business without any start-up capital. You just need your arms and legs and, and a bag to put your containers in and, and a map to find your way to EnviroBank. Um, and, yeah, so there's lots of young people doing great things and lots of older people too um, doing great things with the cash for containers money. So
0: maybe it's that middle ground that needs some work by the sounds of it. You've got the young, you've got the older. What about people our age?
1: Yeah, so I think that is definitely there's definitely opportunity for improvement there.
0: Are we really time poor? Is that part of it, or is it just not a
1: yeah, willingness? Um, I think it's time poor. Um, you know, it's not. It hasn't been front of mind um, for for me. Obviously, I'm in the business, but for our um, generation, and it's really our children um, and our parents. Um, so our children are very motivated and very connected, um, to their future and what's going, um, to happen. And our parents, obviously, because they didn't have, and so they're very mindful about how they consume and how they spend and, and for the, and, you know, this is a very broad, um, statement. So it's certainly not true of everyone, but it does seem to be a gap in, in the
0: middle. Lots of work to do, perhaps. You are on a couple of um of boards and includes Acor, which is not the hotel group, everyone, but the Australian Council of Recyclers, and it's the peak industry body for recycling. How did that come about? Like is, is some like a lot of people who listen to these perhaps are looking at board roles for the future and um you're been on a number of boards over the years and is it because there's there's very few people at the top in this industry and you stand out? I mean, how do you actually get those sorts of positions?
1: Um, well, I've been in the waste management and recycling space now um, for 17 years. So, I'm you know, obviously I've got a fair amount of experience and and um, quite, quite well known within the industry. Um, ticked a few boxes. Um, I was invited to join the ACOR, um, board, um, because of my experience really in this, um, container deposit scheme. And that was something that was emerging. So, um, that was the reason that I was invited. And, and, um, actually they didn't have any women. So that's another. Excellent. Reason. Yes, that and works they well for you. And didn't have an Aboriginal woman. So they <laughs> took more boxes. Three boxes. Um, tick, tick, tick. Um, <laughs> But but when you participate in an industry um for a certain amount of time, then you know it's always wonderful to be acknowledged for that experience. But my advice um to anybody that's seeking out um board roles is, is really I consider my role on that board to also be making a contribution um to industry as well. And that's you know, it's my business is a passion for me but it's also important um, to participate in the conversations that are shaping the industry that you operate in if if, of course you have the experience so if you've got the experience then um, i would say put your hand up and go and seek out a board they don't always have to be in the industry though you know i get invited to a lot of um, different boards and obviously i have a lot of different experience now in uh, in business but you have to find something that you're passionate
0: about. Totally, it has to align with your values doesn't it as well and where you where you want to give back to. So there's been a lot of media interest recently in Australia about this idea that we have been exporting waste to China which will be no secret to you but for some of us it was a bit of a shock I have to say. You know, you put it in your local recycling bin and you just think oh that's going to somewhere in Australia that's going to be recycled and so forth. Now um, China's actually come out and banned a lot of foreign waste what do you make of this is it an opportunity for operators like yourself and, and where do you see that moving um,
1: well certainly it's a big problem in Australia that now that um, China has um, closed the door so to speak it really um, it really is a problem because a lot of our product was being exported um, to to China and and to other markets. Um, but in that problem, you know, obviously there's a fantastic opportunity and that is that we start to have a look um, at our reprocessing opportunities here in this country and, you know, we do have um, big reprocessors here, but there's, you know, there's a great deal more opportunity. Uh, and what I think will happen out of this and certainly what I hope will happen out of this is that it gives, uh, it's a shot in the arm for the manufacturing um, industry in this country and, and you know, to
0: do what though what do what you Well, like to reprocess
1: to reprocess the material into other products because at the moment it's going overseas and then it's being reprocessed into other products because you know our labor laws and and you know all sorts of other restrictions that we have here um, that aren't necessarily um, conducive to manufacturing um, you know we've seen a lot of the car companies um, take their business offshore um, you know, for economic reasons. So I'm hoping that this is, you know, a wake-up call for government, if you like, that, you know, we should look at our manufacturing industries and how we can support industry um, so that we can bring some manufacturing and reprocessing back to this country. Container deposit legislation is a great, um, you know, it's a great legislation also because it does clean up the recycling, which makes it much easier to um, reprocess um, back into bottles. And, and one of the big beverage companies I understand or, and quite a, or quite a few of them have made a commitment that they will um, be looking at their packaging and um, only purchasing bottles that have been made from recycled materials. So that would be a great step. All of those things, yep, tend, um, tend to shape the industry and the business and the opportunity.
0: So what's your next big vision for your company and beyond?
1: Well, we are um, growing um, rapidly as each market opens up the container deposit legislation. So um, we'll be in Queensland soon and then I understand that Western Australia are starting their container deposit legislation and Victoria will be
0: It's amazing it's not national though. Like As you're saying this and, you know, South Australia 30, 40 years ago and now New South Wales, I just had this pang as someone who lives in New South Wales. Oh, my gosh, what have we been doing? I
1: know. It is, you know, it should be a national um, scheme. Absolutely. I I
0: can't get my head around it. As
1: an operator, the rules um, are different in each Mm. state. Um, So that on its own... Um, is challenging and, you know, it's not just challenging for us, it's challenging for the other um, participants in the scheme. So if we could have, if we could all sing from the same hymn book, that would be awesome. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's not the way it is at the moment. But I do see, you know, possibly um, in the next 10 years we will evolve into a national scheme. And, and if we do that, then that will bring some efficiencies into the um, process as well, which will make um, more opportunities for businesses um, like mine and others.
0: So I have a couple of questions I ask all my guests, and you're not going to escape without getting asked these today. Um, Most of us have influencers or mentors in our journey, in our career, in our life that have helped us. If so, maybe one or two that have been very, you know, important to you, and what have they taught you about success and life?
1: Mm. Well, I think the first one was really that fifth-grade teacher that told me that I wouldn't be able to do something. Yeah,
0: thank goodness for her. Thank, thank goodness you. for
1: her. Her name was Mrs. Morgan. Never forget. No, um, and I actually ended up having her two years in a row. Um, so really, uh, if I saw her, I would thank her for because that was really um, that was really the conversation that ignited the fire in my belly. That I, you know, you can do anything if you believe in yourself along the way um, then i've you know i've been a member of that um, entrepreneurs organization for a long time so within that group um a number of peers that have become personal friends um you know in particular a very close friend of mine um emma isaacs who runs a group called um business chicks and now um that's a global women's networking um group so she's both a personal friend and one of my uh, mentors and another girl by the name of maria sipka um, who runs a business overseas. So through the EO organization, I've, you know, made some wonderful, um, connections and mentors. And then I have, you know, the traditional, um, mentors that you've had along the way. A lady by the name of Lynn Scott, who, um, mentored me when I owned CBD Enviro Services through a Westpac, um, mentoring program. And she owned a, um, uh, wardrobe business um which was kind of you know i had a waste management business and she had a wardrobe business but um, there you
0: go so
1: um <laughs> quite opposite in some ways but, but but so she was she was in manufacturing and so she um she chose me from the group because she said i you know i was doing something that was um closer to her um, industry than, than a lot of the others and she was very um she taught me to be to, to run certain processes and to think about, you know, business planning in a certain way. And she held me to account and, you know, I wasn't allowed to go to the mentoring meeting unless I'd done my homework from before and I really appreciated that. She gave me yeah. a great a discipline um, there. structure and discipline. And then um then again um, through EO, you know, a good friend of mine that had run a big advertising agency, we're still um, connected. And then um, somebody that I guess people probably don't always say, but my husband is... Also a very accomplished entrepreneur um, and somebody that I seek counsel with uh, quite often.
0: Um, Well, that's handy. You can do that in the living room, can't you?
1: (laughs) I I do and he, you know, there's some things that I don't um, seek counsel uh, with, obviously. There's some things that I'm completely, but he is a very accomplished entrepreneur and so I often run things um, past him.
0: We've got a great network there to help you do that. So to wrap up, what would be your biggest tip, one, two or three tips for us all to do our bit in the politics of recycling?
1: Well, you know, it's really actually very um, simple and um, and it is really about being mindful about what you put into the right bin. Now, there isn't a council in Australia. Well, that's not true. There's a couple of councils in Australia that don't do recycling, but most of them (laughs) um, do. So it really is about... Putting the product in the right bin, and if you don't know which bin, um, then Google it or call Siri. That's my son is um, doing now. Suri knows everything. Everything more than mum sometimes. Than me. <laughs> um, apparently, um, so it is about education and and being mindful about what you um, put into the bin because once the bin is contaminated, then that sends that recycling on a on a completely different um, path. So keep your general waste separate from your recycling. Is really the number one thing to do and it's
0: not that hard really
1: and it's not that hard and if you don't know how to do it um ask a young person like seriously ask somebody in year two or three because they're completely they're all um, over on it. top of it and they'll be sure to tell you where it's meant to go
0: <laughs> oh it's been terrific to have you on the show until next time you've been listening to the politics of everything i'm amber danes there will be some details of how to connect with norelle anderson and enviro bank on our show notes keep well Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespokecoms, that's dot and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.